All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing this morning? Good to see you here. For all of you that are joining us in person, as well as my brothers and sisters online, thank you for joining us and staying connected. So important um, here at the Bridge Church. So if you're joining us for the first time, um, you would you might find out that we've actually been studying the book of Acts. Um, we felt like that is very appropriate just for right now in the life of our church. And if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, you're going to get very familiar with him. And when I say him, who am I referring to? The spirit of God. Um, that's the reason why we wanted to, to jump into this book, because we believe that the church is on the move and the church is only going to move if the spirit of God is going with us. Amen. Amen. So as I was studying the passage today, we're in like part 12 of this series. Um, when I was talking about moving, I couldn't help but think about one of the things I hate the most about being in my mid-40s right now. This reoccurring pain that comes all often sometimes, and I, and I just can't stand it when it comes, and it's a crook in my neck. Can I get a witness? Does anybody, <laughs> anybody know about them, man? It's like, good gracious. I mean, it hurts, and it, and it lasts forever. I remember when I was a kid, I only got crooks in my neck if I, did, I fell asleep somewhere that wasn't in my bed, right, or, or you slept wrong. But now I, I get crooks just because of this one thing. It's called OLD, all right? That's why I'm getting the crook. I'm serious. Like, I was talking to somebody the other day. I'm like, I, was, I had gotten up. I'm walking around. It's like about midday. And all of a sudden, I start feeling this, this pain just kind of move up my neck and everything. And then my neck get real stiff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is that? And I'm hurting, right? And I'm like, and that's why they call them crooks, because it steals, all right, it takes your joy, it takes your health. And you know, and the thing is, when you get a crook, you know, you ever seen anybody with a crook and you wave at them, and they, like, they're back there and they're like, hey, and then you kind of like, hey, you know, it's like you, it's like you start doing the robot and you ain't even trying to do it. Um, it, it, it changes everything, it, it changes your range of motion, right? It changes how you wake up in the morning, it changes how you get up, it, it, it impacts your day, it impacts everything about you because you got this stiffness in your neck. And what if I told you that the thing that is keeping you from experiencing all that you can know in God, the thing that can keep you from experiencing the power, the range of motion, the, the purpose in your life was you having a spiritual stiff neck. Now listen, while having a natural stiff neck can sometimes be unavoidable and it can be extremely uncomfortable, I hope that as a church, when it comes to having a spiritual stiff neck or resisting the spirit of the Lord, that it, this is something that actually is avoidable. And I hope that we get so uncomfortable with getting comfortable with avoiding and resisting the spirit that we learn to avoid that at all costs. I think it's kind of what inspired the title of the sermon today. It comes straight out of the text. Do you have a stiff neck? So we're going to be at the end of Acts chapter 6 here, and then we're going to move into Acts chapter 7 today. And as we jump into the text, um, I want you to really stay engaged, and I want you to, to jump in this um, and get involved just like a, a Christian detective, if you will. Because all throughout this text, I want you to make sure you have your Bible out. out. If you've got the app, you need to have that out. I don't want you just to, to spectate, with, spectate today. I want you to be looking for these symptoms. Look for the symptoms of a stiff neck, a spiritual stiff neck, or resisting 
what the Spirit of God is trying to say to you in your life. Because without the Spirit of God, I'm just going to be honest, we're powerless and we're purposeless. Without God's Spirit, what are we doing? So let's go ahead and jump right into the text. Let's do it. Acts 6, verse 8, it says, and Stephen, y'all remember Stephen from last week? Brother Steve, he was just, he he was a good brother. He's trying to help out the the Hellenists. He's a Greek-speaking Jew himself. There was some injustice going on in the church, um, and he, he was appointed into leadership to help just do something simple like meet people's physical needs. He was meeting the physical needs of the widows, all right? What we knew about him is that he's a servant. He's not a pastor. He's not an apostle. He's just a regular old disciple of Jesus, just like us. All right. He's just like us. He, and he has a great reputation on both the inside of the church and outside of the church. The Bible says that he was full of the spirit. And the Bible says that he had wisdom. Now it says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs. Everybody say wonders and signs. And I wanted you to say that out loud because you're going to see that again in a moment, and I want you to see how it connects, okay? Wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. They disputed but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. See, Jesus prophesied about this. He prophesied about his disciples. And what was true then is true now as well. Because Jesus said, what, he said, when they deliver you, I'm quoting Matthew chapter 10 right now, verse 19, it says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious, don't have anxiety, how you're going to speak or what you're going to say. For what you, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Then it says this, for it is not you who speak, but it's the spirit of the father speaking through you. Jesus promised that the spirit of God would speak through us when he needed to. Do you believe that right now in 2021 for you in your life? Remember, this is Stephen. This is not even one of the apostles right now. This is a brother that's just serving widows in the church. And then this is what happened, verse 11, then they secretly instigated. I hope none of y'all were those instigators growing up in school. Those, those bullies, you remember that silly stuff people used to do in elementary school? Johnny, hit my hand. Uh, walk over here. I'm going to hit Tommy. Tommy, guess what? Johnny just hit you. What is that? It's, it's, it's this silly little instigation stuff because somebody want to see a fight. Somebody want to see something go forward. And as silly as that is, once that, once that continues and that manifests, it manifests in the things like we saw happening at New Hanover. But to take it a step further than there, it, 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 it happens in corporate America too, where people instigate things and they cause other things to happen to other people and they end up getting fired or things happen of that nature. To take it a step further, instigation happens even in the church and it stirs up some things. And so let's keep reading. Because you're going to see kind of what, what some of these characteristics. Men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Hmm. And they stirred up people. So not only do you got instigation going, but you're stirring up people. And the elders and the scribes, and they came up upon him and seized him. They seized this brother and brought him before the council. Just like what Jesus said. And they set up false witnesses 
who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place, the place and the law. Okay. Verse 14, for we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses has delivered to us. All right. So look, for the record, this is clearly Satan at work. Whenever there's instigation, whenever there's stirring up people, whenever there's lies and false witnesses coming about, then you know that this is the work of Satan. Let me just say this to you right now. This is why the people of God don't, even, don't ever need to have anything to do with stirring up some mess, stirring up drama. We don't ever need to be lying and creating false witnesses. We shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't even be instigating things, whether it's online, on Twitter, on Facebook, or anywhere, where, uh, any platform, because this is the work of Satan. You don't have to be demon-possessed to be demonized. You don't have to be demon-possessed to be doing the work of Satan. Okay, because listen, one thing that I understand is there's, the, there's doctrines, if you will, of devils. There's, there's mindsets, there's things that have nothing to do with the will of God that is being indoctrinated. And if you're going to go along with that and you're going to promote that, then you are doing Satan's work. And that's what you see happening right here. And this is the greatest tragedy so far in what's happening with Stephen. This brother is doing signs and wonders. He's full of the spirit. Um, he's being used mightily by God. And what's tragic is that his words of life that are right before these people have now been turned into what they consider the greatest threat for the Jewish people. This is definitely the work of Satan. But look at verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And we move to Acts chapter 7. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, let's pause for a moment. Because before we go any further, the rest of his speech that he's getting ready to give is almost like Stephen's Holy Spirit revisionist history getting ready to take place right here. Because all these people got the same information, but they're not understanding and they're not seeing it right. And you're going to see several themes all throughout this. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to write, jot some stuff down. I want you to highlight some stuff. I want to see, see if you can see it before we even get to it. How are these people being stiff-necked? How are they resisting what the Spirit is doing? Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. What's going to happen is Stephen has been accused of blaspheming against the sacred three T's. You say, what three T's? I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to tell you what those three T's are. The three T's are these three things here. It's the territory, which is the land, okay? They talk about the place and all that. The land It's the Torah. The Torah are the first five books um, of the Bible. It's what Moses wrote. That's when they said the Mosaic customs, all right? And then the third thing is the temple, okay? It used to be the tent, then it moved into the tabernacle. Now it's the temple that they have there. So basically, Stephen is accused of blaspheming against the religious system, all right? And it's not that this religious system is a bad thing, but you'll find out in a minute when you take a good thing, you turn it into a God thing, then it does become a bad thing. So they're saying, Stephen, how dare you speak against these things? And now Stephen is getting ready to drop it on them. All right, y'all ready? Y'all walk with me through this. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Iran and said to him, go, oh, 
go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length. Huh. But he promised to give it to him as a possession to his offspring after him, though he had no child. So before we even go any further with that, what does it mean if you get sent into a land, but you don't inherit it? What was God really after with Abraham? Was he after real estate or was he after relationship? He was after relationship. So you can already see this territory thing that he's getting at. Y'all misunderstood what this whole territory thing is about. And if y'all know anything about land, people start tripping over land. You ever been in the subdivision and we already don't have but a piece of an acre of anything anyway? All right, and then, and, then, and then you got this line and somebody put a fence and it's one inch over on, on, on your property line. I've seen people come back out, had a survey of that fence is on, my, on that one inch of that property line, tear that whole fence down and build a whole nother. I, I've seen that happen. It's ridiculous. Actually, one time that happened with us where someone had built it over on our property. We talked to them. We said, look, you can have that. Thank you. I'm glad that fence is right there. Praise the Lord for that fence. All right. Well, you, you can have it. We, we write it down. We had to do some stuff with, with the lawyers and everything. Yeah, it's all right. I know y'all made a mistake, but it's all good. You're a good neighbor. We love you. Thank you for all that you've been to us and our family. We ain't going to trip over no fence. But land and all this kind of stuff, it gets real serious. I mean, to be honest, these people are still fighting over this even to this day. See, Stephen begins to set this up because the Jewish leaders have misunderstood the Old Testament scriptures. And when, and when I say that, the whole Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to who? Jesus. So if you don't understand the Old Testament, you really don't understand Jesus. And if you don't understand Jesus, you definitely ain't going to understand Stephen because Stephen is a representative of Jesus. Verse 6, and God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I would judge the nation that they serve God said, God, and after that, I will come out and worship me in this place. Verse eight, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Then we're going to get to verse nine. It says, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph. So here's something you're getting ready to see here over and over again. Now watch this. So your own family, the people that are supposed to be your people, are not listening to what needs to be done. They're actually the ones that are coming against you. Now, listen, this is a pretty lengthy text, and we're going to keep plowing our way through this, but this is why I need and I desire for our church, and this is not me beating up on you, but this is where we need to know our Bible. This is where you need to know your scripture. I hope that you know this story already, and the stuff that I'm reading to you is familiar to you, but if it's not, I highly, highly encourage you. God is speaking, he's saying, and he speaks sometimes the most clearly, actually most of the time, through his word. So listen to this story. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him to Egypt. They made his brother a slave, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and all, and all over his household. Verse 11, now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, a great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, even though this brother 
is he's been sold out by all his people. He's sent out for his fathers on, um, on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Amazing forgiveness in this story. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down in Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar and Shechem. All right, so that's the story there, there of, um, of Joseph. And you see what's happening there. Let's move to this next little part in the history where we're going to talk about my man Moses, all right? But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants, evil, so that he would not be kept alive. Verse 20, at this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in the father's house. Verse 21, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him. Another crazy story. The enemy of the person that's trying to kill you. Now you've been adopted into that family. Okay. Brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in words and deeds. When his brother was 40 years old. So he started having stiff neck like me. That was starting to happen right there. All right. It came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him, avenged him by striking down the Egyptians. He supposed, uh-oh, that his brothers, here go another one of them stories where your brothers, all right, would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Somebody say, hint, hint. All right. Verse 26. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who who was who was wrongdoing his neighbor thrust himself aside, saying, who made you rule and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? So at the turn the age of 40, Moses is rejected as a leader by his people. Right. Verse 29. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, so now this brother is 80 years old, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. There came a voice of the Lord, I am God of your fathers the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, here's the thing. Here's why, why, why Stephen is so smooth with this, because he's still talking about that first T, the territory, the land. Now, here's, here's the thing. If what made that ground holy was just the ground, because that's modern-day Saudi Arabia, okay? If only Saudi Arabia is holy, then we need to go get all the dirt we can from Saudi Arabia or we need to move to Saudi Arabia right now because that's where the holiness is. But it, holiness was not based on the location of the dirt. It's based on the location of food, God. What made the ground holy is the presence of God. What makes the bridge church holy is the presence of Jesus and the presence of his spirit, not the ground, not the land, but the Lord, 
Verse 34, God responds and says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I've come down to deliver them and now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both a ruler and redeemer by his hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing what? Wonders and signs. So this is what I need you to see here. Here's the connection. See, remember, Stephen is doing wonders and signs. Moses did wonders and signs. Um, Jesus did wonders and signs. Jesus' apostles have done wonders and signs. Now you see Jesus' disciples, the regular folk, if you will, are doing wonders and signs. And guess what? They all are being rejected by their brothers. It says, in Egypt and at the Red Sea, in the wilderness for 40 years. So we see that during this first chunk of this speech, he deals with the misunderstanding of that first T, the misunderstanding of the territory. The presence has always been more important than the place. It's not where you worship, it's who you worship. And see, and this is the good news, church. This is part of the, the gospel that you need to understand about territory. That's why Jesus, when he, when he spoke to his disciples, he said, hey, Hey, disciples, let me tell y'all something. I know y'all going to go through a lot of drama. There's going to be a whole lot of crazy stuff going on. He said, but I'm, I'm, I'm going away to a place. And then guess what? Y'all know how to get there. So they like, you know, because they, they're thinking about physical, right? Well, no, we don't know how to get there, Jesus. You ain't never give us. We ain't got ways. We ain't got Apple Maps. We ain't, how, how are we going to get there, Jesus? <laughs> tell me how we're going to get there. And this is what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth. In the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I am the way. That was the same message even back then. It wasn't about the land, y'all. It wasn't about real estate. It was about relationship, right? So let's keep reading. Verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. So just in case you didn't know, Moses prophesied about Jesus, all right? That's in Deuteronomy 18, okay? Verse 38, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness. That was Jesus, yeah, with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. See, this is spirit revealing things so that these people can understand their own history. He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, this is what they did. Instead of receiving what, what the spirit was doing, they, they, they refused it. And it says, make for us gods who will go before us. We sang about this earlier. And for this Moses who led us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. This is Moses up on the mountain, spending some time with the Lord, trying to get the word from the Lord because he was up there for a little while. They done started, got in, got distracted. Is anybody distracted right now? Anybody been distracted in 2021? When you get distracted, you better watch out. You better watch out because what happens when you get distracted? Verse 41, and they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol. And were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Verse 42. But God turned away and gave them over. Oh, God. One of the worst ways that God can judge you is to just give you over to the thing that you love the most. Read Romans chapter 1. That's what it's all about. It's about people. You want to worship that? 
all right, I'm going to let you go ahead and give you over to that thing. This is what happened. It says, God gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it's written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Verse 43, you took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephim, the images that you made to worship. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So now here's the thing. Now Stephen is dealing with that second T. He's dealing with the Torah. Because this is when Moses was receiving the law, the Ten Commandments, all all those things that you see right here. They're saying he's blaspheming against the law, right? He's like, listen, y'all so busy trying to tell me that I'm blaspheming against Moses, but y'all missed out that Moses was prophesying and submitting to Jesus the whole time. Where do you think he got those Ten Commandments from? See, the problem is you're worshiping the law and not worshiping the lawgiver. And that's the good news about Jesus, y'all. That's part of the gospel. He is the bread of life. He's where you eat and you find sustenance. The law, the Bible calls the law, the law is like a school teacher. It points you to where you should be. The law points you to Jesus. Moses was talking about Jesus. Moses was prophesying about Jesus. Jesus is the one that gave Moses the law in the first place. The law is not what makes you holy. All right? The law actually tells you how holy you are not. That's why you don't get a reward for driving 35. Okay? But if you don't drive 35, you find out how holy you are not. All right? The police officer will let you know. All right? The law itself is not a bad thing. But the, the, law, the whole point of the law is to point you to something that's even better, and that's Jesus. And they're missing that. They're missing that, right? They're rejecting the people that God is sending, and they're turning to idols. And they're doing it again because now they're rejecting Jesus' words through Stephen. Remember, who's talking here? Is this, whole, is this Stephen's whole thing? Is this Stephen up here trying to be like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm the man. I got all this biblical knowledge. I, you know, y'all need to listen to me. No, this is the Spirit of God speaking through our brother Stephen, right? So let's finish this speech. Verse 44, our fathers had the tent, the third T, there it go, the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses, directed him to make it um, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua and they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David. So we didn't got to Joshua, then we done moved to David, who found favor in the sight of God, and that's to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Then we're going to go from um, David to Solomon. But it was Solomon who built a house for the Lord. So finally, we went from a tent to a tabernacle. Now Solomon has finally has built this temple. Man, we finally made a house for the Lord. Woo, we did it, we did it. Look at verse 48. Yet the Most High does not do what? Dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Isaiah 66 is what that is. Verse 49, it says, heaven is my throne (laughs) and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? That's like my kids trying to make a house inside my house and then tell me, hey, why don't you come stay in my house? (laughs) The earth is the Lord's 
in the fullness thereof. See, Stephen is breaking this thing down. He's helping them see. I know that y'all, I know that y'all, y'all, y'all are making a big deal out of this temple, but you need to make a big deal out of the Lord. See, that's the final T that he deals with right here. And see, here's the thing. Jesus already got into trouble for this in Matthew 26. Because Jesus said, I'll tear this temple down in three days and rebuild it. Like, what? What? All this history? Solomon built this temple. How you going you gonna to tear it down? You're going to tear it down in three days? And then everybody knows that he was referring to his body, right? And how his body would be resurrected. He was, he was, he was basically, Jesus was prophesying his resurrection. And now they're even using what Jesus said back then. They're using this too. They're saying Stephen is doing the same thing. Yep, he is. Now, here's the good news. Jesus has said that there, there, there are seven I am statements in John. They're beautiful. But one of them that I love a lot, and one that, that I think is just worthy for us to talk about, one of the things Jesus said, he said, I am the door. I am the door. You, you're trying to go into this temple, but you need to come inside of me. I am the door for my sheep. They walk into me and they find safety. This is the place that you, he wants to protect us. He wants to be our very present help in our time of need. And to take it a step further, the Bible even goes on to tell us that our body is the temple. And now, since God is so big, what he decided to do is now dwell inside of us. And he's doing that through his spirit. So now Stephen delivers the punchline. That's where this whole sermon came from. Look at verse 51. You stiff-necked people. And he's quoting Brother Moses out of Exodus 32, 9. Now, if anybody in here is from the country, you know, you've been on a farm, when he's using this word stiff neck, the first thing that comes to their mind are animals. Because they're animals that they try to use, but when the animals don't want to move, they become stiff neck, like a mule. And then you ever heard that phrase, you're stubborn as a mule, right? I know a lot of us husbands get that, that phrase a lot. When we get stubborn, and we get stiff-necked, and, and that's the thing. I'm trying to do some work through you, but I can't do the work through you, mule, because you're so stiff. You got that? Now, I'm not going to call people what they call donkeys and stuff, mules, all right? I'm not going to use that word because we're in church, all right? All right? He said this, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? The prophets were bringing the word of God. They were speaking the word of God, and people didn't want to hear it. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, the good news, the gospel, right? Whom you have now betrayed and murdered. murdered. Verse 53, this is the last verse in this. Verse 53, you who receive the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. After he did that, y'all, he dropped the mic and he walked off. Well, and it left things a little bit rocky. Now, here's the thing. You're going to see later. I ain't going to steal Pastor Ethan's thunder, but I really mean that metaphorically and literally. All right? You wait till you see next week. Let's take a step back, though, because I want you to see something. All throughout this passage... You never saw Stephen defend himself. Because listen, he didn't have to defend himself because guess what? It wasn't personal. This isn't about him. He sees how he's connected. 
He sees how he's connected to the prophets. He sees how he's connected to Jesus. He sees how he's connected to Moses. He sees how he's speaking to Greek-speaking Jews. This is all these people are Greek-speaking Jews. He's speaking to his brothers. And they're rejecting him. They're lying on him. They're setting him up. And he's doing, even though he's doing signs and wonders and he's doing all these things. Because here's the thing. He's not fighting natural things. Let me say this really loud and clear for you. And I think you need to hear this in 2021. And this is something I have to remind myself of constantly over and over and over again. You can't fight a spiritual war with natural weapons. You cannot fight a spiritual war with natural weapons. Sometimes we complain about everything that's going on in our lives and all the drama that it's creating, and we still keep trying to fight those things that you know is spiritual. Some of y'all even say that. I know that's just the devil. I know that it's just this. I know. So, but what are you doing on this side to fight and prepare? Has, has your prayer, prayer life changed at all? Have you fasted any? Have you sought God more? Have you repented differently? What, what is going on differently right now if, 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 if it's such a spiritual attack? Now, for some of you, you just realizing now, oh, this is a spiritual thing. And if that's the case, you know, this is how you learn how to fight the good fight of faith. That's why right now, is I, marriages are struggling right now. And I know so, so many people are spending so much time fighting um, against each other instead of fighting for each other. And I just wonder, are you resisting the Spirit's power? Are you, are you, is your neck getting stiff when it comes to love now? This love is supposed to be unconditional, this covenantal type of love. We're living in a culture right now where the world is trying to push you away from sexual purity. And, now, and, and the world actually is fighting for sexual promiscuity. As if the Spirit does not give you power to have self-control and to have faithfulness. Instead of fighting for unity right now where we're being champions of segregation and we're resisting the Spirit's power, our, nef- our neck stiffens. It stiffens like we don't have the power to endure long-suffering and patience. Remember, Stephen is just a brother trying to help out the widows, and God is using them mightily. And now all of a sudden, he's being accused of blaspheming against God. But the power of God is resting on this brother. So I want to end, I want to end doing two things. I want to talk about how a stiff neck forms, and I'm going to tell you how to avoid having a stiff neck, a spiritual stiff neck. All right, here we go. The formation of a stiff neck. And we actually see a lot of this right here in the text. Formation of a stiff neck. First thing is gossip. Gossip. Hearsay. Hearsay. Narratives that are out there. Let's just be real. Lies and rumors. Be careful of your uncircumcised ears. Even when it comes to worldly theology and and newsflash, all of y'all are um, theologians. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not a theologian. I didn't go to school. No, no, the- theology is, is what you believe about God. So what has shaped your belief about God? When you were five years old, you had a belief about God. When you were 10, when you're 15, when you're 40, you got to believe. But the question is, what, it, what is it? Is it hearsay? Is it lies about who God is? Because I'm going to tell you, if you believe all that, your neck is going to stiffen and you're going to resist what the Spirit is doing. 
That's why we tell you don't get, don't be part of instigating things. Don't be, don't, don't stir up the drama like you saw here. Um, don't say before you pray. This is how this stiff neck begins to form. Second thing, this is a huge one, pride, pride. If you're a very prideful person, which most prideful people are too prideful to admit that they're prideful, right? I'm going to tell you how you know, because you just ask somebody, do you refuse to listen to other people? Are you always defensive? Do you have a problem receiving criticism? Uh, do you have a lack of self-awareness? Do you love to argue and win arguments instead of winning hearts? He, look, listen, in, in this text today, Stephen won the argument. Why? Because it's God. <laughs> it wasn't that Stephen was the, the most intelligent. We don't know how intelligent Stephen was or anything, but the spirit of God was on Stephen. So the people that were arguing against Stephen were actually arguing against God. But here's the thing. He, it don't look like he won the argument because now they're going to drug him out before the council. And you're going to see later they're going to do something very horrible to this brother. Because here's the thing. When it comes to the kingdom, it's not about always winning arguments. It's about winning hearts and winning people. Because there is going to be one major character whose heart is going to change and revolutionize Christianity that's there at that place. Even though it looked like that argument happened. His name was Saul. And he changed to Paul. Here's the third thing. Idol worship. Idol. And then when we talk about idols, um, that, that might sound spooky because most people are like, hey, man, I, you know, come on, man. That's some old school stuff. Um, I'm not worshiping idols. What are, what are you talking about? An idol is anything, idol is anything that turns your heart away from God, okay? They, it blinds you. Because now, most of the time, most of the time, as Alex was saying earlier, it's, when a, it's a good thing that has become a God thing. Those three T's, the territory, now the bad thing. Land is a good thing. The Torah is a wonderful thing. I praise God for the law. That's a good thing. Yes. The temple. Yes, it's a great thing. It's a great place. Us being able to even come into this building right now is a, is a great thing. But if we worship it, then we try to make this become a God thing. That's when it becomes dangerous. Do you know that Jesus said, listen to this, if you don't hate your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, even your own life, he said, you cannot be my disciple. Some of y'all are like, what? Jesus said that? I need to read that again, Pastor Chris. Are you sure? The God of love said that. Yes, he said that. That's how serious he is about separating your love for these good things from God. Why? It's to protect you. Because listen, as good as my mother is, as good as my wife is, as good as my brother is and my kids, even my own life, here's the thing. Mom will fail you. Dad will fail you. Sister will fail you. You will fail you, but God will never fail you. He's the only one worthy enough to save you. He's the only one that can redeem you. He's the only one that can deliver you. He's the only one that was worthy enough to die for your sins. So you never put those good things in the place of God. Because as soon as you do, your neck is going to stiffen and you're going to resist what the power of God is in your life. 
The fourth thing is this, excuses. Excuses. I wish they would have stopped making excuses and they would have repented. Repentance is something that has to be in our DNA, church. I, I pray that the Bridge Church is a church that, that builds a culture of repentance. A stiff-necked church is a church that always has excuses. It's people that's always doing things against people, and they, and they keep coming up with excuses for why they're doing it. Now, here's the thing. All, all four of these things you see listed right here, most of the time you got to have people around you, right, that are honest with you, and they can, it can, be, it can just tell you what's, what the truth is. And if you don't have people like that in your life, if you don't have some type of mirror that you can look at, then your neck, I'm telling you right now, is stiff and you're resisting the power of God. You need people that will say, hey, man, you're gossiping. You need to stop. There's rumors. That's hearsay. How is that helping the situation? That, that, that's not helping anybody. Just stop. You need people to say, hey, man, that, that's prideful. You're being very prideful right now. I'm just going to be honest. You, 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 you're, you're looking at this. I can tell that this thing right here, listen, it's a good thing, but this... The way you're acting, I can tell it's becoming an idol for you right now. Hey, listen, you're making too many excuses. Just man up and say you're sorry. Say you apologize. That's the kind of church that we need to be. Amen? So how do we avoid it? How do we avoid a stiff neck? I'll give you three things really quickly as I close. The first thing is do not resist the Spirit. Luke 12, verse 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, listen, y'all can talk about me if you want to, but let me just tell you this. If you blaspheme against the Spirit of God, he said, there's no forgiveness of sins for you. Now, a lot of people, this is a very controversial verse for some people because they'd be like, what's the, it's an unforgivable sin? Like, he told you what it was. It's blaspheming against the Spirit. Like people have turned that into a whole lot of different things. Listen, do you understand this? Do you understand? What's the role of the Spirit? The Spirit is the person of God that convinces you of the truth. There's no one under the sound of my voice that is a believer, that is a Christian, that is a disciple of Christ, that did not come to Jesus that wasn't drawn by His Spirit. His Spirit is what draws you to God and the Spirit actually is the one that's going to resurrect you when you die. That's what the Spirit does. So here's the thing, at the end of the day, if you reject what the Spirit is saying, there's no hope for you. And this is why Jesus says, do not resist the Spirit. And here's what I love about the Spirit. Yes, He comes to convince you, or we like to use the word convict you, but He also comes to comfort you. He's the comforter. He's the one that when you have that anxiety, because see, I'm sure that Stephen might have felt anxious, but because he knew that he was promised the spirit, now he's comforted and he's able to sit up here and say what he had to say in love to these people. But also the spirit counsels you. The Bible says he's a wonderful counselor. The spirit is the one that brings things to your remembrance. He reminds you of who Jesus is. So why would you want to resist him? Don't resist the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Secondly, do not quench the spirit. When this word quench means, it means to put out the fire. It means to, to quench the fire, to suppress the power. The spirit is trying to bring the truth to you. Don't suppress the truth of what the spirit is trying to do. The spirit um, doesn't like to hang around foolishness. 
And when you start hanging around foolishness, when you start playing like that, you're quenching out the fire that is there. I hate when I see people who are, you know, that they're going forward with God. They're on the move and then they, they, they start to get back entangled into worldly affairs and they, and they start to get entangled in things that they shouldn't be entangled in. And you see them just simply suppress and quench what the Spirit is doing. The last thing is this. Do not grieve the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. You remember when Jesus got baptized, the Bible says the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. What it meant in that is just showing you how gentle the Spirit is, the gentleness of the Spirit as it came down. Since the Spirit is so gentle, don't offend what he's doing. That's what this is saying. Don't grieve the Spirit. The Spirit is where your peace is. Why would you want to offend your peace? The Spirit is where your love is. Why would you want to offend your love? That's where your gentleness and kindness and meekness, these are the fruit of the Spirit. Don't offend that. Don't grieve that. Instead, rejoice in the Spirit. Amen? In a nutshell, we got to get to the place where when we talk about Him, He's a person. He's a third person in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We got to stop treating the Spirit like an it. We got to stop treating the Spirit like it's the TSA. All right? Travel Security Administration. Y'all know what I'm talking about. When it's time for you to go travel, one of the things we hate is having to go through security. Why? Because they got to check us and they got to check your stuff. And sometimes those lines are long and Sometimes it's like, man, what is, you know, and you go through there and you got to go through this thing and then they got to scan you from head to toe. And then what? Then guess what else? Then they got to go through all your stuff. And the best thing for you to do during that time is not to resist. Because ultimately, what they're trying to do is they're trying to help you get from here to there. They're trying to help you be on the move. Now, that's the TSA. I'm talking about the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God examines you, that's why the Bible tells us to examine ourselves from our head to our toes. When the Spirit of God comes in to examine you, don't resist Him. Don't quench Him. Don't grieve Him. Receive Him. Rejoice in Him. Walk with Him. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank You for the ministry of your spirit. Lord, we would not be here if your spirit had not drawn us to yourself, if your spirit had not revealed to us the bad news that we were separated from you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our place on Calvary. And we know that, Jesus, when you died for our sins, we know that it was your spirit that brought you back to life and gave you life again. And when we receive you, we receive your spirit. We know too that we're promised to have everlasting life because you can resurrect us in our natural, you can make us new, and when this life is over, we will have life again because your spirit will bring us back to life. So God, help us to be the kind of people that we're sensitive to what your spirit says and how your spirit wants to move. God, we love you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.